I want you to get your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 8. It's the famous story of Gideon and the 300. Gideon is an outstanding Bible character. He uh, is referenced in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And while you're turning to Judge, uh, Judges 8, I'll just quickly read a snapshot from the book of Hebrews. I want to show you the pattern that he provides in his particular time frame and the moment we have here to draw and derive much encouragement and even specific pattern from the, the activity of their faith and the pursuit of the dream and the breakthrough and the fulfillment of the promise. And it says here in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, it says in chapter 11, verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea. The Hebrew children passed through the Red Sea as though it were dry ground, even though the Egyptians were attempting to attack them and the Egyptians were drowned in it. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down as they encircled it for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with the disobedient because she was obedient. And in fact, her name was in the lineage of the birth of Jesus. She was in the family tree of Jesus. Verse 32, what shall, more shall I say? That's what, when you hear a pastor say that, for time will fail me. He, the, the sundial and the uh, hourglass, they were ignoring. The, whoever wrote this was not paying attention to time. He said, for Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who fought, by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. What, what shall we say then? Time would fail me if I talked of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David. But here we are looking at this snapshot from history and we're seeing God's faithfulness. The God of Gideon came and, and roused himself toward the people. The people were in a stuck place. Society was changed. Uh, uh, Israel had sinned. There was therefore attack on their lives. They were oppressed by the Midianites and the Amalekites, two very harsh groups of people. They had camels. They had skills that they could rush in like marauders. They were raiders. They would steal their stuff and their grain and their livestock, and they'd go out and they'd, they'd, uh, before they even knew what hit them. And the, the Israel was oppressed until they repented and cried out to the Lord. As soon as they did, God responded with his love instantaneously. God sent a messenger to Gideon. Gideon was full of reluctance. Gideon was insecure. My read is that he even had low self-esteem. He was a bit bitter. He said, if God really loved us, where are the, why did all this happen? Where are the miracles? He was in skepticism, maybe. He was a little bit overly uh, analyzing. Why, if God loves us, is this happening? And the angel just kept pushing through, or the, the messenger of the Lord kept pushing through and said, you're a valiant warrior. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're a valiant warrior. They, this is the language and the verbiage of the heavenly message to this man that felt stuck, that was in a difficult time period, that society had been seized by darkness, and the people were despondent. And even he was like, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. He kept looking at his own um, limitations. Don't we all? Abraham and Sarah realized they saw that they're past childbearing years. And yet, in hope against hope, he believed. And I appreciate that about the Bible people because they're not in denial. 
When David said, by my God, I could run through a troop and leap over a wall, he was acknowledging the troop was there and the wall was there. When Jesus said that you should speak to your mountains, he's not saying deny your mountain. He's saying there's the problem, but get through it by faith. Have faith in God. Speak to your mountains. Pray huge prayers. When you pray, believe you receive. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. There was a lot of self-loathing on Gideon, and he had to work through it. There was a lot of reluctance on Gideon. So God actually fanned the flames of this guy's life. He, you know, instead of just putting out the, the wick that was smoldering, he fanned the flames and brought a flame back to a burdened and uh, depleted soul. God doesn't put out and just discard us when we're flickering. He, he comes to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, be certain that the God that took care of Gideon in that particular day never changes. He's faithful to a thousand generations. And I realize you've been through some complex things as individuals. I realize there are issues going on in each one of our lives. In the last service, one man's brother died during COVID. The woman's brother, other brother just died during COVID. In our case, we had a grandbaby born, and we just had a son get married. And so the contrast, there always will be things that we could rejoice over and things that we have tears over. And the Bible says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, we're to reap, to weep with those who weep. And the things that were written in earlier times were written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, and there's a lot of heart sickness in that chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Judges. That's the profile of Gideon. But this, the Lord comes in on the scene and says to a burdened, reluctant, sort of evacuation-oriented, escape-oriented believer, Gideon, hey, I want to use you. And he said, um, you're a valiant warrior. And he said, go in this your strength. Well, what was his strength? Was it the strength of his sense of self-esteem? No, he was weak. What was his strength? The strength of his, his military prowess? No, at that point he had none. What was his strength? The strength was the presence of God. The strength was that I'm going to come in here and I'm going to help you. And when you're weak, I'm going to make you strong. And your boast is going to be that, that I'll bring you through. And that is, in fact, the testimony that is over laying upon us right now that is available to us right now I want you to reach out and say I'll take that say I'll take that in Jesus name I'll take that I'm going to take that strengthening I'm going to trade I'm going to take that the divine directives for my particular time Gideon didn't live in 2020 he lived thousands of years ago we live in our time right now so it's essential that we pay particular attention to these amazing moments of history so that we can see the patterns of God's faithfulness and we can draw from the example of God's patience, of God's timeliness, of God's purposes. And we can see how God took a reluctant warrior and turned him into some, somebody with efficiency. Now, it got to a place where he was doing some incremental things to win out and overcome his fears. God let him do something at night because he was nervous about people by day. And the Lord, like he does with all of us, kinds, takes him and nurtures him along. 
Do you know that you're God's workmanship and that you're created in Christ for good works and that God is actually developing something in you and that the big goal of our lives is to conform to his image, whom he foreknew, he also did predestine to conform to the image of his son. Young kids in here, you're in formation. Young adults, you're in development. Middle-aged people, you're under the guidance and hand of the potter and on the potter's wheel. And uh, you're not the one that says, this is how I wanna have the spout and where I wanna have the handle. It, we yield and as we become mature and we age and we get older and older, as our days are, so shall our strength be. And God is faithful all the way throughout. And David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's people beg for bread. Gideon's story is that of someone who came out of nowhere with nothing and with a despondency and not a sense of purpose at all, didn't have an agenda, hadn't been to the conferences where the 10 steps on how to succeed. He was like in a depressed state, society was in a depressed state, and yet nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands and God stands before him and says, I regard you as a valiant warrior. I see you differently than you see yourself. And, and I, I have a purpose for you. And I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand as through one man. That's what he said to Abraham. I see you as something more than Abram, the Chaldean. I see you as Abraham, the father of many nations. I don't just see you, Sarah, as a barren elderly woman. I see you as the mother of many nations. And at the, past the proper time, she received the ability to conceive. Listen, they went through the fire. They went through the trials. They went through their own mistakes. And God mercifully, mercifully uh, kept addressing that and raising them up. You know, he's bringing us forth as a people, as a church. Jesus said, I watch over my church. I, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it unless the Lord's building it. Those who build it labor in vain. It's our responsibility to keep listening to the master's voice, keep looking to the word of God in order that we could press on. And in fact, there were 32,000 people and uh, about 22,000 got afraid. And so they kind of stayed back. And then the Lord said, there's still too many. There were 10,000. He said, there's still too many. So I want you to go by the water and I want you to get some water. He saw the thousands and thousands dip their faces down to drink water, but there were 300 vigilant, heads up, alert, sober-minded, thinking people that kept their one eye on the battle line, one eye on the situation with all, remember the marauders, and they would bring the water and lap it up on their, with their hand to their mouth. They became the 300. They became the 300 that God could do something with, and they went into the battle. The Lord gave them a strategic plan that was very peculiar with pitchers and with torches and with trumpets. And they went into this in this peculiar format and they just went along with what God was leading them to do. It was without precedence. It had never happened quite like this before. They just cooperated with God and just went ahead with it. And they blew the trumpets and the enemy was confused and they attacked each other and so forth and there was a great victory. And then they had more to do and in chapter eight, verse four, it says, then Gideon and the 300 men who were with him. Boy, this is important that these were, there was a special bond in this transitional time. There were things that the group had gone through 
and there was a refinement. It's very similar to, and we don't have time to read it, but in 1 Samuel chapter 30, when David and the men returned to Ziklag, and they had been attacked by enemies, and their stuff was burned with fire, their loved ones were kidnapped, and there was such a depletion of morale upon the armies. The armies became, they wept until there, were no more, there was no more strength in them. And then they, David could hear them saying, let's stone David. So it was not a good scenario. And they were blame shifting and blaming the leader. But it says in chapter 30, verse 6 of 1 Samuel, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And that's in fact what this 300 group did. They they had a vigilance. They had something that God had refined in them. And they were with Gideon. And their shout, in fact, was for the arm of the Lord and for Gideon. There was a loyalty that was real, that was not manufactured. It was not a, a click club thing or a, a culture like a gang that wasn't a gang mentality. This was a commitment from the heart. And it was a refinement from God. And it was a preparation so that in order that God would get all the glory in this transitional moment for his people, he was providing deliverance. He who had brought them up out of Egypt, he who had delivered them and passed them through as though dry ground, he who shut the mouths of lions, he was on the scene for Gideon, and be assured of this, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he is on the scene for us. And so we see and we look into this moment of history and we get supernaturally inspired by it, don't we? Then Gideon and the 300 who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over, weary yet pursuing. Weary yet pursuing. In Numbers, I think it's chapter 21, verse 4, they were going around Edom and they were, the, 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 the Jewish people were on, in a migration and moving to progress. And yet the people became impatient because of the journey. This is where God wants the 300 not just to stick their, like the, the, the people sticking their head in the water. God wants us. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. And we've got to have a supernatural uh, alertness in today, in this moment today. I've seen this before. I've been a Christian now for a while. I've been pastoring 40 years next month. I will have been pastoring in St. Louis for 40 years. You know, I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel fresher, stronger. I feel more enthusiastic probably than I've ever felt in my entire ministry. I've in fact lived for this moment. Everything up to this point in my life is just a, a prelude and a preparation, incremental preparation contribution for what lies ahead. And what we believe in the culture of our church, we got out of the Old and New Testament. Genesis chapter 50, I read it last night. David assured his brothers when after Jacob died and they had betrayed Joseph and backstabbed him like some brothers come sometimes do. And, he, and they were concerned after Jacob died, he was going to become bitter toward them. And he said, no, I'm not going to be bitter. I, I forgave you when my dad was alive and I'm going to keep forgiving you. I'm not going to carry resentment. And this is part of how God could bless Joseph. And he said, because what you meant for harm, God turned around for good. And man, I believe in a reconciliation and all these things. And Romans chapter 8, verse 28 echoes it even more glaringly. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Can I hear an amen? amen. Gideon is a wonderful case, a case study of someone that is not all that and knows it, but realizes God is a big God and gets a touch from the Lord 
on a very practical, consistently wonderful level of endearing mercy, uh, of tolerance, of God's patience, patient toward Gideon, working him through. Gideon goes, man, I've got to have this. I've got to make sure this is you. If this is you, then do this and that. And then he does it. And he goes, oh, no, I'm going to die now because I've seen God. I've seen an angel. And then he's like, Just come on, come, calm down. Quit being so nervous. And God works out things through Gideon. He's beautiful. Then Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan. And they didn't stop there. They, they crossed over. I think crossing over is what's happening to us right now. I think that people peel off in a transition for whatever reason, and then you end up finding out who's going to go to the next level. And then we stand before the Lord humbly. We stand before the Lord and understand him to be vital, and we listen for his directives, and we look to his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray like we've never prayed before. We pray with our understanding. We pray in the spirit. We pray for interpretation. We pray for prophetic guidance. We don't look to the right or the left. I'm required to get my ear to the ground and to the word and keep my eyes on Jesus. As a primary leader, I have to hear from God. And the good news is we know the master's voice, the voice of a stranger we will not follow. And there are many voices and they have significance. But we zero in and dial in. There are many winds of doctrine and the trickery of men, and we've got to not be tossed to and fro in this hour. We've got to get our eyes on Jesus. We've got to go to the Word and get all we can out of it. And we look at a story like Gideon. And, you know, time would fail me if I talked about Gideon. There's only three or four chapters here about him. But, man, there's so much stuff that we could unpack here. But the central thing I want to bring to you is that God visited him at a strategic time, in a perilous time, when it was very harsh atmospherically. It reminds me of Paul the Apostle with Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 in the New King James. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The, 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 the New American Standard says difficult times. And sometimes we need, in order to understand a word, we need, need to see it elsewhere in Scripture. This is a word, perilous, translated perilous or difficult. You think about Gideon's time with the Amalekites and the Midianites. If you're not a student of history, you didn't read that. Let me tell you, you should read Judges 6, 7, 8. I'm already up there with Samson now. I'm going through Judges. But, man, you stay in here and read these chapters about Gideon. If, since he's referenced in Hebrews 11... It bears study and thought. There's a Gideon society where they put Bibles in all the hotels. Come on. You know, it's in Rocky Raccoon and the Beatles song that Rocky checked out and left it, no doubt, to help with Good Rocky's revival, put the Bible in the, in the nightstand. I personally got to witness to a man who worked for the EPA who, who was a, a professed a atheist, ultra-logic guy on an airplane, told me he was an atheist, and yet there he is reading the Gideon's Bible out of the nightstand at his hotel while he's doing work for the EPA. Can't make this stuff up. And I think about old Gideon, and I bet Gideon, when he was in the wine press threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites, he never would have imagined that his name would be affixed in a, in a, in a, in a pop culture song but the, about revival. And then in, in, the, in, in a moment of, of a guy reading, pulling a Bible out of a nightstand, 
He could have watched TV. He could have read a magazine. He could have gone to a meal. But there he is reading the Bible. It starts in Genesis, and he's reading about Abraham. And God set the stage for me to witness to him in a context where we had wind shear, and the plane almost crashed before it came off the ground. It was terrible. The, the doors flung open, stuff fell out, bags opened up, clothes fell out, people were screaming. He screamed, God! <laughs> and later on, I was able to say, can I ask you a question? Because he was asking me all kinds of questions. Where are you going? I'm going to Prague. What are you going to do? Well, I'm a speaker. What are you going to speak? Well, I'm, I'm speaking to the, it's a culture palace. And it's like, well, what are you going to speak about? <sighs> well, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm going to speak about the Lord Jesus. And he goes, oh, I'm an atheist. So then it's like, okay, I don't want to talk to you in the first place. I was upset about him de-icing the wings, how we missed our flight, how it's windy. And I was actually, in that case, out of God's will. Even when I was out of God's will and I yielded to an opportunity and manipulation and pressure from people to go, and it looked like a great opportunity, and I missed God. God mercifully delivered me. Thank you, people, for praying for me. You, my intercessors have been going to get major rewards. And I thank you. I think that Virginia is going to get an extra slice of pie for all the times she prayed for me. God delivered me. And God opened up a door when I said, now, can I ask you a question? Yeah. When, you said you're an atheist. Yeah. Well, but yet when we were almost going to crash and you were freaked out, you cried out to God. He went, I know. And I said to him, well, can I, can I comment on that? Because I'm going to now. Because remember, he interrogated the heck out of me, and I'm kind of getting even. But not really. I said to him, I said, you know, Solomon was a you know, wise man, David's son. I've heard of Solomon. He wrote the Proverbs. Yeah. And he knew some things about the literature. He said, God set eternity in our hearts. And he went, he just became a very, here's this astute, you know, logic, scientific type guy, very intelligent, but it was not a combative thing. We had both gone through turbulence together and we were, in, we were like trench buddies in a moment. And we were on the, the land, all, the ground all of a sudden got equalized and we were on these same terms together as in a human condition. I as a believer, him as an atheist, but we had this moment and actually it was a Gideon's Bible that precipitated the, the conversation. And so Gideon is not just the name of the Bibles and that little the logo that they stamp on gold on the cover of it. He is an abiding encouragement that you see in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith obtained promises. By faith, out of weakness was made strong. There are things designed to drain and deplete that we must become aware of. And in fact, when it says, realize this or know this, that in, in the last days, perilous or difficult times will come, the Greek word is kalepos, kalepos, and it's the idea of reduced strength, difficulty, danger, stress, and hardship. Difficulty, danger, stress, hardship and reduced strength. That certainly was the case in Judges 6, 7, and 8. But even though they were weary, though weary, they pursued. Weary yet pursuing. That typifies the Jewish people. That typifies 
the church, the early church. And that is actually what these uh, moments that we're in right now, this is what we're doing. Though weary, we're persevering. Listen, not one but two deaths in one family, and they were here in the first service. Not one dad, but now a mom, and the gentleman and his wife, and the gentleman is here in the second row. That bounce back ability in the church, the couple who overcame COVID, had different symptoms and circumstances, but they've overcome it and they're here. They're here by the grace of God. They're here because they have a tenacious spirit, because they have a God who crowns them with, with, uh, with compassion and mercy and favor. He surrounds you with favor as with a shield. And you may feel like you've been depleted. You may feel like you've been waylaid on the journey. You may feel temporarily like your vision has been a little bit blurred, like you're not the on-fire person you used to be. Don't for a minute reminisce in a sentimentalist way as though I wish I could live this over again. I wish I could be the person I was before. Don't even do that because you're on a progressive journey and you don't want to forfeit or forsake any of that other stuff. They asked John Wesley, who went through unusual hardships and trials, if you had to do it over again, would you change anything immediately? He said, no, I am what I am and who I am due to what's, what I've been through. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Paul said, hey, look, I don't want your faith to rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So your faith will rest on the power of God. Hallelujah. Gideon and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over, weary yet pursuing. Say that, weary yet pursuing. Now so, kalepas is reduced strength, depletion, fatigue, difficulties, danger, stress, hardship. The only other time the word kalepas is used in the New Testament is in describing the condition of the two demoniacs of Gadara in Matthew 8, 28. They, they, they said that they were exceedingly fierce. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, realize this, that in the end times, exceedingly fierce times will come. Furious, hard to deal with, extremely challenging. But to be forewarned is to be fore, forearmed. And uh, this verse actually tells us how to prepare for our days. And in fact, this is a message of preparation. In fact, every time I preach, my mission is to equip you for works of service, for you to be able to identify what God's called you to do. And incrementally, I'm gonna sow toward it, seed after seed, moment after moment, um, believe in God for vital truth to hit your spirit, renew your mind, refresh your vision, invigorate you so you can run and you're because you're built to last you are built to be one of those that goes across the jordan though weary yet pursuing hallelujah hallelujah and so paul says in the last days people are going to have to face some kalepos times some that same spirit that was running amok in those demoniacs of gadara that's ephesians 2 talks about the spirit that now works on the sons of disobedience. It's a spiritual thing, trying to seize control over humanity. But the good news is this, that Jesus has given us supernatural authority. When he met those demoniacs of Gadara, he cast them out, the demons, and, and he cast those violent, furious spirits out, 
And that's what the scripture says. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll take up serpents. They'll shake off those serpents into the fire like Paul did. They'll win in the battles of life. And the Lord went, they went out everywhere. The Lord working with them, accompanying them with signs and wonders and miracles. Gideon had wonderful breakthrough occur. Notice how reluctant he was. I've seen this in some of the great people in the world I've been part of. Dick Mills talked about uh, George Washington Carver saying, basically, the success of a person is not based on accolades, achievements, uh, labels, and titles, but its, based, its basis is on the difficulties they've had to overcome. There's something magnificent about seeing Gideon come out of depression come out of insecurity. It's something humanly accessible, something that we can see, we can look at, we can feel, we can touch. Thank God. It's not some sort of superhero. It's not some sort of, I've seen Christians try to model, I'm more spiritual than all the rest of you. And it's just coming out of the same insecurity. It's just a tragic imbalance. I'm going to overcome, I'm going to overcompensate for it with a lot being louder being more spiritual, being, you know, more indispensable. It's like, no, 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 no. Look at Gideon. Gideon is having this argument with the Lord, and the Lord's winning. If you guys have an argument with God, guess what? Guess who's going to win? Well, I'm, but I'm the least in my father's house. I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm out of time, out of, you know, no. At a certain point, we just have to look at people like Abraham and Sarah. Just said, in hope against hope, they believed. And, and I love this verse. Sarah received the ability to conceive past the proper time. And there's such an attack on our minds in today's instant gratification world. It was the same 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. They were into instant gratification and impulse. And it was drive. And there was all this power brokering. Very similar to today. And so here we are feeling all this pressure feeling like I'm a day late and a dollar short, the FOMO, fear of missing out, the shoulda, coulda, woulda syndrome, then the temptation to compare ourselves among ourselves, the false allure of all this stuff that's falsely called success, and yet it's like, wait a minute, as for me and my house, I'm gonna serve the Lord. One thing I've desired from the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell on the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And God, I thank you that you have a plan, you're the head of the church, and each one of us has a place in the body. And given all the circumstances and all the array of weirdness that has befallen me, yet nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And God, I, I serve the God of Gideon. I serve the God of Abraham and Sarah. That God is our God. What a psalm. It says that in the Psalms. That God is our God. And that's why we have the value of the Old and New Testament. And you should do a survey from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Pour through the, the law and the prophets. Pour through the poetry books, books of Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and so forth, Ecclesiastes. Read about Job. Don't be like, and relate to it. Job didn't have the access of good teaching like we do. Yet he had such a heart for God. He even attributed everything that came from God because he had a primitive understanding of who God is. But yet God delivered Job. And at the end in chapter 42, 
God, he said, the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. And when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes twofold and he landed on his feet and he was then repronounced in James chapter five, consider the dealings of the Lord, the patience of the Lord and the outcome of the Lord's dealing. Job was patient. That's what happened in Judges 21. I mean, Numbers 21. They, the people grew impatient because of the journey. And this is what we've got to fight right now. This is, where, this is how we fight our battles. Oh, this is how the devil tries to bring depletion right before a breakthrough. This is that proverbial darkness before the dawn. This is where God sifts and refines the army. This is where we've got to drink the water with our heads up, be sober-minded for the purposes of prayer. Why? Because know this, the end of the age will be kalepos, difficult days, demonized days, and yet greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and he's given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and that God is our God, and he is faithful to see us through. Your prayer life matters. Your fight of faith matters. Your repentance matters. Your humbling yourself before God matters. Your admission of your failing matters to God because the righteous fall seven times, the Lord picks them right back up. God works better with people that are honest and people that are feigning things. Unfeigned faith is what he's after. Unfeigned love, meaning it ought to be real. We need to keep it real. I appreciate the reality of, of Gideon and of David who is a man after God's own heart, but with great candor, the scripture reveals not only the highs, but also the lows, but it underscores that every time that guy ran back toward God, when he was in trouble, when he failed, when he blew it, when he sinned, he would humble himself and get back on track. Whereas Saul ran away from God and got into his own little isolation. And as he got isolated, that did not please the Lord. What pleases the Lord is even Gideon. God could work with Gideon. Gideon's having an argument with God. He's not just walking away. He's saying, hey, what's up? Why? Hey. And, and so God lets him do that for a while. But God doesn't want us to blame him because God's ways are blameless. So at a certain point, Gideon had to go, I'm going to zip my lip. And I'm going to just get on with God. Like, Come on, y'all, 300. Let's go across this Jordan. And let's, even though we're weary, we're going to pursue Realize this, that in the end times, difficult, kalepos days will come where uh, people will be lovers of self and, and God deniers and hostile and, and ungrateful with no honor. And um, it must not and ought not get into the culture of your thinking. Today, we as Christians are told that we will never, you know, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But but we definitely have to face demonic opposition. We're told to fight the good fight of faith and put on the armor of God in order that we may stand. And this is how we fight our battles. I wanna close with uh, Philippians chapter three. Let's go to Philippians chapter three. I feel like this is a good place to get a practical point across to you. If you're note takers, did you wanna hear some good notes? Yeah, there are four of you that did. So I'm going to give you six points. Number one, eyes on Jesus. Everybody say eyes on Jesus. Number two, forget what lies behind. Number three, press forward. Number four, forgive everyone. Number five, repent for everything. And number six, maintain joy in your journey. 
That's good. You didn't have time to write that down, but at least you said it. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 3. We'll finish with this. I sense such a strong anointing on this. Paul said in verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Everybody say weary yet pursuing. But one thing I do, everybody say this one thing. You ought to perk up when the Bible says this one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I'm 40 years into ministry. We've been married since 1978. We were both 10 years old. Um, we've got a bunch of kids, grandkids. And, um, but for us, the best is yet to come. We've seen some wonderful provisions of God that I give him all the praise for. But I don't have a tendency toward enshrining those moments. I draw a lot of encouragement from them. I draw thanks actually from where God was so kind to me when I went flat, where I got numb and yet God was there patient with me. Who's thankful for God never leaving us nor forsaking us? Come on, raise your hand. Who in here is grateful that when God signed you up, he, he said, I'm at work and you both to willing to do of my good pleasure. He's been with us when we've cried. He's been with us when we've moaned. He's been with us when we succeeded. He's been with us when we got, you know, man, it's easy breezy. And, you know, went on, tried to coast, tried to put it on uh, autopilot, put it on cruise control. You know, they, I just saw on, the, on a, the, the weather channel, Kingston, my son said, that's the scariest channel on television is the weather channel. When he was about six, five years old, yeah. That's the scariest channel on television. And uh, I watched it, and they, they gave tips about the snow, because eventually we're going to have ice. That's going to be snow and ice before you know it. Um, that don't put it on cruise control. Did you know that? Because you've got to keep control, keep, keep your traction, because if you lose traction, then you're stuck. I believe this is a message that we can't be on cruise control. We can't just be on autopilot. We've got to every day get with God. What do you want us to do now? When I visited Paul uh, in the hospital, uh, Paul Haglin, who is dear to me, um, Alexis's dad, I, as I was walking in, I thought, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? The indication from Mark and Alexis was he was passing. Remember that? That was what you communicated. So I was preparing that. I thought, well, how, what do I say to this? elegant man, this, this giant of a man, fatherly person. And the Lord gave me Psalm 32. So I went and I said, Paul, I feel like I'm supposed to read this Bible to you. This scripture, oh, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And the Muslim family, they were listening. And the nursing staff was respectful. And, um, and we had this moment and Paul was just feeding off the word. And then I, I, I was kneeling next to him and he put his hand on me and prayed for me. It energized me for months, and he prophesied over us, gave us a tip, and then he went out of the hospital. She, Alexis said, I think this is his, the last you may see him, and then he comes back for a whole year. I know, I, I thought, he's got a lot of game left in him. God just put a new fresh tank of gas in his tank. Hallelujah. God put a fresh tank of gas on those 300, didn't he? All 32,000 people rendered down to, 20, to, to 22,000. 
and then render down to 300. Now go and put a weapon on all these guys that have camels and stuff. It's crazy. It's overwhelming. And you look at, at the early church, these guys are coming out with sandals and, you know, like burlap clothes and rope belts and dude, and all these beards growing out of their cheeks and stuff, dude. And they're all arguing with each other about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus flips the keys to them and says, go change the world, y'all. And there's like a little handful of them. And here's this Roman empire and here are all these kingdoms. And they're watching out there walking. I'm going to share the gospel with y'all. Hey, you idolaters, come around here. We're going to talk about Jesus. And then they're in, they're in jail. This is the day. This Lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus. Chains fall off. Peter's in prison. The chains come off. This angel's going, get up, get up, get up. He's sleepwalking. The day, he doesn't even know what's going on. He passes the guards. He, the angel made him go to sleep like a, you know, like a Jedi mind trick or something. And then, and then they, he gets to the house, and he's knocking on the door, and the lady named Rhoda answers the door. They're in a prayer meeting praying about Peter, and, and they, they, he goes, she goes, hello, and it's, it's me, it's Peter. She goes, Peter's out there in the garden. And they go, it is not. You're out of your mind, Rhoda. Praying, praying that Peter will get out. And then they go, it's just his angel. I mean, that's trippy. And it was Peter. Peter was like, I can't even believe I'm here. And all the prayer people go, I can't even believe it's. Well, you just prayed, didn't you? You got your prayers answered. It was just his angel. You guys, the early church was in an interesting scenario, right? Gideon and his army, it's like you could just see now that girl with the new Bible, she's gonna, this is gonna, she's gonna tear into this. It's gonna light up. It's gonna have, be like backlit. It's gonna have like, it's gonna have like uh, the torches and the trumpets are gonna be going off. She's gonna get some revelation out of Judges 6, 7, and 8. She's got a brand new Bible. If she put tabs on it, she's, got, she's gonna underline. I told her to only underline the good stuff. I said, it's all good stuff, so underline the whole Bible and get a new one. That's what Chelsea does. You get a Chelsea Bible, it's all underlined, and she gets a new one. Rick Hufton and Doug Hufton and Merrick Hufton's father, Austin, he'd go tear through a Bible every year, and I watched him read this Bible. I watched him go past his, he had asthma, and he would, I saw him dealing with it, and I saw he was such a mighty man, and he produced these amazing sons. He was a missionary to Africa. His wife was from the Czech Republic. And they birthed those wonderful sons, mighty men, mighty men, still serving God like elegant, mighty men. And now their children's children are serving God. Hallelujah. You stick around long enough, you'll get to the edge of the Jordan with the 300 that are with you, and you'll cross it, though weary, yet pursuing. I press, say this with me, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's all stand up on our feet. Let's all stand up on our feet. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, we're pressing on. Look at somebody and say, this is for real. Say, even though this, the times are difficult, we are more than conquerors. Jesus is going to see us through. Hallelujah.